Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We regularly work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. Welcome back to the cottage. We're continuing exploring Genesis 3, last time we left off, with beginning the discussion of the battle at the gate, reminding us of the battle that's talked about in Joel chapter 3, and tying it to the day of the Lord and what we find in the book of Revelation, using this to guide us in our understanding of what possibly really took place in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 to help us in applying to our own lives who is this God whom we serve praise the Lord well we're continuing in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 we began that this morning and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and we talked about how that word cool is actually the word for spirit and we talked about how that is the day of the Spirit, the day of God, the day of the Lord. And you remember from Joel chapter 2, we talked about the day of the Lord. And that's what was coming. In chapter 1 of Joel, it was a judgment. And if they did not respond to the judgment, then God was coming in judgment. And so the idea was for them to repent. And so all those who repent in chapter 2 join God, but in chapter 3, it's the day of the Lord. The Lord has to come. And there are days that God has to step in. And it's on the lines of when you tell your children, don't make me have to do this. And so that's along those lines, the day of the Lord. And we talked about how God comes in the midst. And we went to Isaiah 28, verses 5 and 6, in that day, talking about the same day that Joel chapter 2 is talking about, which was in the day that God had to come in the Garden of Eden and judge what happened at the fall. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be a crown of glory. And we read Psalm 8 this morning as a part of a reading where they will be crowned again. They lost their crown at the fall. And for a diadem of beauty, and we talked about beauty for ashes and how God wants to restore that beauty unto the residue of his people. It's only a residue that make it. And for the spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment. It's the spirit that judges. And so we talked about that even in Sunday school. How do you know when someone's repented? And you know it by the fruit. What fruit? The fruit of the spirit. The life of God that flows in their lives. You can tell when they're operating by the fruit of the Holy Ghost. And so that's what we're talking about here. And we said it leads unto this idea of battle. And for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. And so it's always amazing that Jesus says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We don't realize that means we're supposed to be on the offensive. 
It's not Satan at the door of the church. It's the church at the door of hell. It's advancing. Advancing language there. And so we're talking about a battle. And that's exactly what you have in Joel chapter 3. Is the assembling of God's army to battle in Joel chapter 3. So it's a battle language that's going on in Joel 3, 9. I don't mind going through the whole chapter. But it says, proclaim you this among the Gentiles. Now this is Joel. This is the Old Testament. But remember, this is the context that Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Proclaim you this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. God is sounding an alarm. He's making a noise to prepare for war. It's a battle. And we all know how much of a battle is this out there. And what do we go to war for? Some people are trying to figure out the Ukrainian war. What's that all about? Well, Russia invaded. And, and if Russia can invade Ukraine, we already did this back in the 30s and the 40s when Hitler started invading. And no one bothered to step in. And then the next thing you know, he's got France. And look what it turned out. So this is what we're facing. And so he's calling for war against the evil, to stand against the evil of this day, to battle. Joel 3.10, beat your plowshares into swords. You know, we, we want the day where we beat the swords into plowshares. He's saying, no, 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 this is the opposite. This is the opposite of that day. Now we're going to war. Now we need to go to battle. So all those who repent and get right are going to join the Lord in the battle against evil. And those who repent get on the right way with God, but then they're going to go to battle. You're printing hooks into spears. And let the weak stand strong. Now we've we sang this many times. Have you sang that song about the weak becoming strong? And what he's talking about. The weak in Joel chapter 1 was the locust plague. In Joel chapter 2 they repented. But they were weak. And he is going to make them strong. Make the weak warriors to go battle the evil of this world alongside of the Lord. He's calling us to stand up. Weak Peter. Weak Saul who became Paul. Think of all those stories about how God turns around the sinner and turns them into mighty warriors. Even those like David who fall. How he turns them around. But King Saul didn't repent. He wasn't turned around. He was defeated because he was still fighting against God. So look at the difference between David and Saul and what happened there. When David repented, when Saul supposedly repented. And we went through that, the difference in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that Paul talks about. You can apply that to the story of King David and King Saul and the difference. Joel 3.11 Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen. Gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. We're going to war. This is the war. And you see all that in the book of Revelation. So Joel chapter 3 is grabbing the same thing that's happening in the book of Revelation. Verse 12. Let the heathen be awakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the heathen round about. Now he's going to judge. We're talking about we can't judge. We can only go by their fruit. But God is going to judge. Judgment is going to happen. He's going to get it right. And the key is that Peter is preaching in Acts 2 and Joel is preaching in Acts 2 is the key is, have you repented? Are you on the Lord's side? Because he's going to come down to judgment. And it's the spirit that we're talking about that is judgment. And that's what happened when Adam and Eve fell and it was the spirit coming 
to bring judgment to get them back on track. But if they're not going to get back on track, then they're going to be judged. Verse 14 we're very familiar with. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Many people have preached this using this to think that there are people that need to decide for Jesus. Now this is too late. This is the judgment that's going to be up there. He's talking about a judgment where the decision is what the Lord's going to decide. It's not making a decision for Christ, although many people have used this verse to do that. Saying all these people out there need to make a decision for Christ. They do. <laughs> that's true. But that's not what the context of Joel 3.14 is. It's too late by now. Now they're being judged. And the decision is not theirs to make. The decision is God's to make. And it's too late. And he's saying, repent in chapter 2 so you don't face this judgment. God uses the Spirit, though, to judge us now so that we will not be judged with the world then. And we are more like Him than we are them. He's calling us to become more like God, to be more like Jesus, rather than them of the world. Creation, the world began in darkness, we said in Genesis 1, right? In Genesis 1, by the Spirit, He orders the cosmos. It is good. It began in darkness, in a state of chaos. It began in a state of wilderness. He orders it. He disciples it. He disciplines it like we do with our children, like I did at work. I came to a new job, and they trained me. I had to be trained, discipled. This, this is how it works here. Okay? So He orders it, disciples it, until it is good to go and to grow on into perfection. Nicodemus, you must become like a little child, but little children grow up. Grow up. You must be born again, but remember, you're, you're going to grow into maturity. It's a tree that is mature that produces fruit. We're talking about fruit production like we talked about in Sunday school. Fruit production. The constant battle then is the spectrum between becoming more like him or like them. Are we going to be like the world or are we going to be like the God we serve? Him or them? Him or them? I remember I was uh, a lady called me uh, when I came home on one of my trips and she kept calling and calling and calling and she kept talking about all these demons she kept seeing and she's talking so much and finally I told the lady, said, listen, all I ever hear you talk about is them. You know what one thing is missing in all your conversations? You never talk about him. I said, wouldn't it be nice you say you're a Christian. Wouldn't it be nice for you once to start talking about Jesus? How many people we go through life, we all talk about the problems all the time, but we never have the answers. We never talk about Christ. We have to decide if it's between Him or them. But we're growing into perfection. We talked about that. So this constant battle in being more like Him, less like them, and fighting the chaos that's around us. In constantly bringing about order and peace that God wants. We're bringing the kingdom of God. We're his officers of the peace to restore order when life runs amok. This is supposed to be a place for people to come and get peace when their life is falling apart. We offer them that peace. We offer them as an extension of heaven. We are heaven on earth. We are God's house on the earth as a church. He separates out the flocks, the sheep from the goats. He separates the, the the weeds from the wheat, the wheat from the tares. He separates the good fish from the bad fish. He's separating it out. He's judging, discerning. He's deciding what is good and what is right in Joel chapter 3 verse 14. 
But he's offering the chance for repentance now. But you don't want to go into that valley on the wrong side. And that's what we're supposed to be reaching out to them. To repent. That's the battle that we're waging against evil and wickedness in this world. We talked about that out of Romans chapter 1. How he's against all ungodliness. He's not against the ungodly necessarily because he wants them to repent. We talked about that this morning too. And we used 2 Peter 3, 9 to talk about how God doesn't want any repent. Joel 3, 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. You get to that point, there's no more light. There's no more light. They will no longer be guided by those things that guided them before. Remember in the end, in the book of Revelation, there's no stars, there's no sun, there's no moon. There's no, he is the only light. And if you're not charged by his light, so in the end, it's, there is no night. There's only Jesus. And he's our light. So it's a reversal of original creation that was darkness. Well, yet they will slip away into the darkness in which they have chosen to hide. We talked about Adam and Eve hiding this morning. The world is hiding in darkness. They don't want the light to show them the right way. They want to continue as they are. And the difference between those who have truly repented are those who want to walk in the light. They lose all of God's light. And he must purge them in new creation. He's trying to bring them out of darkness. Translate them from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous wonder of light. That's how Paul describes it for us in Colossians. He's moving us from darkness into light. New creation. As I even told you. Think about the womb. Nicodemus saying, do I have to get back inside my mother's womb? How's that possible? Do I have to go back in the darkness? Darkness. The womb is dark. It's new creation. Back to Genesis 1-2. When the Spirit was there hovering over. And in Genesis 1, God was ordering everything and He was judging it. Now this is good. Now that I've ordered it, now it's good. It's not perfect. The Hebrew is clear on that. It doesn't use the Hebrew word for perfect. It wasn't perfect in the Garden of Eden. It's not perfect. It's not perfect, but it is good. And it can grow on into perfection, which is what we talked about out of Hebrews 12. It can grow into perfection, but it's, not, but it's good. We bring people in so that they can become good by God and grow into perfection. To becoming more like Christ. So that we're perfect in the kingdom. We're perfect in cream, but it's new creation. Joel 3.16, the Lord also roars out of Zion and utters His voice. There's the voice from Jerusalem. It starts at Jerusalem. Then Judea, then Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. We talked about that in Hebrews 12. The shaking. That God is going to shake all. The shaking. I remember the earthquakes in Nepal. The shaking. It was a crazy shaking. Exactly five years to the day when they had the first earthquake. Exactly five years a day. Craziness. Shaking. God is shaking. Joel 3.16 But the Lord will be the hope of His people. We got that. We have hope. Because we are His people. I tried to talk to Katie's parents, in-laws about that. About how we are God's people. We have this hope. And the strength of the children of Israel. The weak are made strong because now we have hope because we have Jesus. We have the hope. 
We have this hope. So it's a theophany. God shows up in Genesis 3.8. A theophany where God himself shows up and manifests himself. And the word apocalypse that we talk about all the time is, is when God uses prophecy, he uses prophets to get us as humans, agents, to fix what's going on in this world. He uses us as prophets. But when that doesn't work, then he himself has to come. That's an apocalypse. And there's going to be the apocalypse of all apocalypse when Jesus comes on that horse covered in blood. Oh my goodness. That's war. He's covered in blood in Revelation 19. And it's not his. He did that the first time. The second time, it's not his blood. And he's going to war. He's going to war against the evil of this world. It's a theophany where God has to show up himself because humankind has failed. And he shows up himself. Like in the first day of creation, when light came forth at the dawn of everything we know. So that this is a day of the Lord. To recreate, to reset, to renew, to make all things new. And to correct in his coming in where his stewards have failed like many of us. And many times we read over and over again in Jesus' parables. And I read some of those for you in Sunday school. How they failed. How they failed. God sent prophets and they killed the prophets. How they failed. How Christians are persecuted around this world in other places. The Nepali persecution, the Pakistani persecution, they're happening. Where they are against the Lord and His anointed, His Christ and His people. They're still battling. And eventually God has to come Himself. We did this in Hebrews 12, verses 18 19. For we are not coming to the mount that might be touched and that is burned with fire. There's that burning the mountain, the fire, the language that we've been talking about all through Joel 2 and 3, all through Acts 2. Nor into blackness, there's that darkness, I didn't highlight that. And darkness. And tempest of all things, a storm. This is a storm in Genesis 3.8. We have a storm coming, we have the wind. We've been seeing the wind, we saw the trees and the branches, and we've been seeing the winds and the storms. And the lightning. Alicia had a terrible time this week. Because the lightning was so bad that the children could not go back to sleep. Teresa was vomiting. She couldn't sleep the next night. Because it was, as I said this morning, flash bang. It wasn't flash and count and bang. They were scared out of their skins. They couldn't go back to sleep. Teresa wet the bed. She's eight years old. She wet the bed. Eight year old. She hasn't done that for three years, four years. Storm. Storm. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't understand science. I mean, through all the classes, what lightning and thunder is, they think God has come. They think it's a supernatural spiritual thing over there still today. Darkness, blackness, tempest, and the sound of the trumpet. There we go. We go back to what we said in Joel 2.1. The sound of the trumpet, that noise, the voice, the sound that we talked about in the beginning of Genesis 3.8. And the voice of words. Remember how God said in the beginning, in darkness, He spoke. The Spirit came out of His mouth. The voice of the words, which voice that they heard and treated, the word should not be spoken by them anymore. They said, don't speak anymore. They said, this is Mount Sinai. Moses, this is too much. 
Moses, this is too much. We can't endure this. You go find out what God wants to say to us and you tell We can't handle God. We can't handle God. And God understood that Adam and Eve could not handle his presence in Eden. And they had to leave. They had to leave. Hmm, so bad Sinai was. So bad. So terrible was the sight that Moses himself said he exceedingly feared and quaked. Moses was wet in his britches at the presence of God at Sinai. That's God. The all-consuming fire. God. The presence of God. This is the God that shows up in Genesis 3.8. This is what shows up in Genesis 3.8 when the fall occurred. A scary situation on one hand, but he's offering again mercy on the other hand. And if we don't repent, this is what we're up against. But if we do repent, this is who's with us and for us and wants to walk with us. This is when we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. But you don't want Jesus to beat your enemy. (laughs) Going on in verse 22, we're still in Hebrews 12. But you are come, not to that one. Not unto Mount Sinai. No, 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 no. Not under the law. No, 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 no. And we're going to get there. I'm going to explain to you the whole thing of the law when we get through this. Probably not tonight. I want you to see and understand what's going on here. But we, we're, that's not us. No, no, no. We have come to Mount Zion. This is what he prophesied. This is what David wanted to build. And this is what Peter is building in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. He's building a new temple. He's building the third temple by the Holy Ghost. I keep telling you that. Peter is building a new temple. Jesus came as a carpenter to build a new house of God. To build that habitation we talked about last Sunday morning. Where God and humans meet. But you are coming to Mount Sinai under the city of the living God. That's going to be very important. Living God. I want you to remember that. We'll get there. The heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. We're in the presence of all these heavenly beings. Read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. That's who's with us. They're all up there praying for us along with Jesus. To the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. We're the church of the firstborn. Who's the firstborn? Christ. And we're born again. Which are written in heaven. Oh, you want your name written there, don't you? When they all open the books, you want your name there. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men who were made perfect, made perfect. There it is. They're not perfect, but they were made perfect. God is making us perfect. He's making us perfect. And to Jesus, the meteor of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than out of Abel. All the way since Abel's blood was shed. It's been a mess. Because Adam and Eve fell out of the garden, but then the next sin was brother murdering brother, and we humans have been sinning against each other ever since. Adam and Eve sinned against God. Cain sinned against his brother, and we have been Again, we're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be family, but we're not. I mean, come on. We're Russians and Ukrainians are trying to say they're family, but what is this? They're killing each other. We kill each other. Why? Why? Verse 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. This is the key. This is the difference between Joel chapter 2 and Joel chapter 3. They can reject... But now you can't. Now you can't. 
They can reject the law. They can reject Moses. They can go off and be Gentiles. They can go. But now, <laughs> this is God himself speaking. And you don't want to reject this. For if they escape none who refused when he spake on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. They at Sinai, that was one thing. But now, in Christ, if you reject Christ, that's it. If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice, there it is again, the voice that shakes the whole earth. But now he hath promised yet more. Yet once more I will shake not the earth, but also heaven. I'm going to shake it all. Everything is going to be shaken. The very heavens itself is going to be shook up. You cannot reject that. You cannot reject that. He says we have an unshakable kingdom. If we are in Christ, we can get through the shaking. Skipping down to verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. He's burning. And we are going to have to decide, is what we're doing with our life going to survive the fire of God's presence? Because again, he's going to burn all the wood, hay, stubble. And he's even going to burn the gold and silver to purify it, to make it more precious, to remove the dross. That's what we talked about out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Kings 18. Then the fire of the Lord fell. This is at the building of the temple. And then they rejected him. And then this is what we preached when Elijah says, Hey, we built this temple and you rejected him. And you went after Jezebel and you're following her prophets. We built a temple. And now he calls, you You call your God and answer, who answers by fire? And Elijah says, here we built this temple that David wanted to build. And we're supposed to be worshiping God and you're worshiping uh, the, all these other prophets. He said, let the God who answers by fire. God is a consuming fire. God will answer by fire. And this is, I taught you, this is lightning. Then the fire of the Lord fell. He's an all-consuming fire. And consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. They don't... They don't... They're going to burn because of God. But they don't burn. They're false lights. They're false lights. The hellfires, I don't think, are because of them. The hellfires are because of God. They're wanting to be in darkness, remember? They're not creatures of fire. They're creatures of darkness. They don't want the light. The fire of hell is God's fire. It's His light. And it's that which exposes. Verse 19. Uh, chapter 19, verse 12. Sorry, First Kings. Again, Elijah. The quaking. And after the earthquake. After the quake is the fire. But the Lord was not in that fire. And after the fire, the still small voice, that voice again, that wants to speak to Elijah. Do we hear the voice of God telling us to go here and there? No. Go straight. Don't go to the left or to the right. Go straight. The voice of God speaking to us. The fire is not for us. The fire is for us to, to burn off everything that doesn't matter so that we will get to what does matter. That's what he's calling forth. That's what he's calling forth here. That's what Joel's talking about in the fire of Joel. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 4. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. Washing away, cleansing them. And have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof. 
by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. It's Remember, we talked about this. Jesus comes to baptize in the Holy Ghost and fire. There it is. Where are they getting it from? They're getting it from Isaiah. Isaiah 4.4. 4. Let me go back. John shall baptize you with water. Sunday school lesson. Unto repentance. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. There's that washing. And he said, Sadducees, Pharisees, why have you come to my baptism? Because you haven't come here to repent. Show me the fruits of your repentance. And once they have been purged by the blood of Jerusalem. Once all that's been purged by the blood. You have the Holy Ghost coming. That we talked about. The spirit that comes to judge. To give you the right judgment. When you... you which of the 613 laws of the Jews are you supposed to obey? Am I supposed to cut it this way or am I supposed to wear that? Or what am I supposed to do? I don't know. I got a PhD in the Bible. You know what the best thing is? Being dumb enough to listen to do what God says and do what God says. Being dumb enough. My biggest problem is when I preach what not to preach. Because <laughs> there's so much of the Bible I want to talk about. But what God wants what God wants. Being baptized by the Holy Ghost, spirit of judgment. Jesus said what? The Holy Ghost is coming and he will judge. And by the spirit of burning, being baptized by the fire of God to burn away all that stuff that doesn't matter in our lives so we get down to what does matter, what he wants, and purify our lives and purge us. So here you have... Matthew chapter 3, the baptism that John is talking about, and he's prophesying, where's he getting it from? Isaiah. God's not saying anything new. He's telling them what they missed the first time. Isaiah 4, 5. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies, the church, a cloud and a smoke by day and a shining of a flaming fire by night, the cloud by day and the fire by night that was with Moses. In the desert, it was so cold at night because sand doesn't hold heat. And nobody dared come to that camp and sneak up on them because God was there. Whoa, the fire. And a cloud by day to protect him from the sun. He protects us. In other words, we can go through his fire. We can go through his fire. We can survive it if we repent. If we do what we said in Sunday school, if we do Joel chapter 2, then we're in the right place in Joel chapter 3. Now get this, I love this. We're in Isaiah chapter 4 verse 5. Let's finish the verse. For upon all glory shall be a defense. The Holy Ghost is our defense. The Holy Ghost teaches us where to go and where to be. And if we follow the Holy Ghost, we'll be in the right place at the right time. And will be protected. It will defend us from ourselves of making the wrong choices. Amen. From saying the wrong things. From doing the wrong things. Boy, have I done that. Ask my wife. But she still loves me. Ask my God. But he still loves me. But if I go by the Holy Ghost, it will defend me from those sins. The same sin that David made. The same sin that whatever made. Whoever made these sins. It's a defense for us so we don't get wrong. So that we do right. 
So that we do not commit acts of evil upon others. So we're not Cain murdering Abel by saying something we shouldn't say or doing something we shouldn't do. God's Spirit shows up to reveal our sin. He will convict the world, the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, the Holy Ghost is coming to convict the world of sin. It will reveal our sin so we can get right with God, so we repent, as Joel chapter 2 says. But also to protect us as our defense from committing future sin. Or to protect us from the sin of others. The Holy Ghost will protect us from the sin of others when they sin upon us. Have you ever seen that movie Schindler's List where that Nazi cannot shoot that rabbi? The gun would not go off. He tried to shoot that rabbi so many times the gun would not. God can do that. He can protect us from the sin of others. He can protect us. I don't know how many times I've been protecting my life. I should have been dead numerous, innumerable times. But God protected me. He's my defense. Yet, we must bear like our Christ often the injustices of this world and become weak or in the very least reach out to the weak and become as they are and giving them our reserves to fill them to reverse their injustices as he did when he became poor to make us rich. That's why we give to the missionaries. Everybody says, I don't know how America gives all that all around the world. They give so much money. Why do they do that? Because they're Christian. That's why we do it. That's why we do. Why does everybody want to come to America? Because we're so stinking filthy rich. We're still rich. Even though we give all that stuff, we're still rich. We live high off the hog. I told you. My wife would cross the valley and go to the other mountain and go to high school there. Somebody from that village made it to Dubai on a visa, made it from Dubai to Mexico, crossed the border, was detained for two days, and is now working in New Jersey with paperwork, visa. That's what we do. And I'm sure staying in that detainment stayed in a much better place than his own place in Nepal, in a mud shack. In a mud shack. He's like, I'd rather risk it, cross the border at Mexico and get detained in a building that's much better than the mud shack I have to live in in Nepal. becomes like us so that we can become like him so that when we become like them and we have money they don't we give money that means we become poor but we give them money that means we become like them and when we become like them then they can become like him because they hear the gospel that's why you're doing the missionaries that's why you're giving that money that's why we need to decide when we say we're rich and we joke in the meetings, but can we give more? Because there are people that need to hear the gospel. So this becomes our defense. When we become like him, the Holy Ghost is a defense. Going on, Isaiah chapter 4, again, verse 6. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat. We're supposed to be a place of refuge that people can come in on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night. I'm telling Jim, come on over. Get some rest. He's freaking out. I said, of course you're going to freak out. This whole world is full of freak out. That's why you need to come to church. So you can get a place to have a shade from the heat. And for a place of refuge. 
for covert from the storm, from the rain. We're supposed to be able to offer them some peace for a moment. On a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, on a Wednesday night, just get away from it all. That's why we come, isn't it? We want to get away from it. Because we're tired of, what is it called, as the stomach churns? Is that still on TV? And really, you know what, those soap operas? We laugh about them, but real life is worse. It's a battle, as we talked about this morning, and we started out tonight. It's a battle out there. It's a battle out there. That's why we come here. As a refuge. As a place we talked about that. 1 Corinthians 3. Every man's work, verse 13, this is just a reminder. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by the fire. The fire reveals. It purifies us. It cuts us down to what's the most important. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man work abide which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. If Truly, when the Lord's fire burns in our lives, it will reveal what's the most important things that we should be doing. And then all that other stuff that we're doing falls away from the wayside and we get to what God wants us to do. And we start talking what God wants us to talk. We think if if we don't say four-letter words, we're saints. But if we're not saying the five-letter word to those who are unsaved, Jesus is five letters if you didn't get that. If we're not sharing the gospel, that's six letters. Just because we don't say four-letter words. We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be tested by God's fire, by His word, if what we're doing is making a difference. Verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yes, so by fire. God's going to save. He'll save us. I just barely got in here. Okay, the thief on the cross, he barely got in. That's different. But God doesn't want us to get the same reward as the thief on the cross where we barely get in. But that's how most people are living. We live by grace because we think it's okay just to live like the thief on the cross and Jesus is going to save me. But we, everything else burns up. And we have to be careful of that. We have to be careful of that. Yes, we are going to find ourselves in a bad place at times, making bad decisions, saying bad things, or doing bad things. But we repent, and we allow God then to turn us, to use us in that repentance, to bring about good things. To bring about the good things. In Exodus 19.9, what does it say? And the Lord said to Moses, Lo, I come to thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear me when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. There's that cloud. There's that cloud he's talking about. And he's speaking with, on Exodus 19 that we just talked about out of Hebrews 12. There's Sinai. Verse 16. Exodus 19, 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning. Notice it's the third day. Just like Jesus came out of the tomb the third day. That there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountains. And the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud. So all the people that were in the camp trembled. At the sound of God. That's why Adam and Eve are trembling in Genesis 3 8, because that same sound is there. I'm trying to help you understand. All this is to understand Genesis 3 8, believe it or not. But the presence of God is wow. We keep talking about we want to see Jesus, we want to be in the presence of God, but man, it is intense. 
It is in elevenths. It is in twelvenths. Tenths, elevenths, twelves. It's, it's off the scales. He's not a ten. He's off the scales. It's so intense. It's so intense. Going on in verses 18 to 19. 18 19. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. He's a fire. So he's a fire because he's on fire. Guess what? The mountain begins to smoke. Because he's there. The mountain is producing smoke because he's there. It's caught up in the fire of the Lord. And the smoke there ascended as the smoke of a furnace. There's that furnace language we talked about earlier. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the Lord, the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And here you have a return to what happened at Genesis 3.8 when Adam and Eve were talking with God. Now you have Moses and God talking on the earth, on a mountain. And I told you that out of Ezekiel, that Eden was called the mountain of God. We'll get there. We'll get there. But we're out of time for tonight. But I want you to understand that those things that are in the presence of God, because He's a fire, they begin to exhibit the same qualities of God. Because He's a fire, they get set ablaze. You wonder why I'm so passionate? People ask me, why are you so passionate? Because God's on fire. I want to be on fire too. And I want you to be on fire. We need to get that fire back. Because a fire will catch and it'll burn across. And it'll purify. It's not pleasant. They'll build Maui back better. They will. They will. So God wants to fire us up. So he shows up and he's a fire and he's lightning and he's thunder. And of course they're freaked out. But at the same time, that same fiery being is the one that loved them and wanted to take them forward in mission to accomplish what he wanted done. Just like we talked about this morning. That's why this mercy and judgment, this justice, this two-sided coin, the God of mercy and justice is so hard to comprehend. The same God that's on fire will scare the hell out of anybody, and it should. <laughs> it should. That's what we should, but we don't just get fire insurance. <laughs> because I'm telling you, those people go to church for fire insurance. Listen, He is the fire. <laughs> that's why it's hell for those people who have all this stuff that doesn't mean anything, and they're only saved by fire because they approach God in judgment, and everything that they did for their entire Life burns and there's nothing left. And all he can do is save them because they accepted Jesus. But they have nothing else. And we don't want to be like them. Paul's warning us as he's building us as his third temple. He's warning us not to live a life that all we can say is that we know Jesus. And there's nothing else. No, we need to be about building and doing things of eternal significance. And I believe that's why we're still here. Because we still have work to do. Otherwise, he would have already came. And he hasn't come yet. Therefore, you still have a purpose. Because you're still here. He hasn't taken you out of the game yet. So what are you doing on the sidelines? You're supposed to be playing. You're not done until he says you're done. Amen to that. 
So why are we done? We're not. So let's get back in the game and win this thing. <laughs> and get fired up because he's a fire. And that fire is supposed to be in us. Like Jeremiah said, it's a fire shut up in my bones and burns. We need to burn with the fire of God. Amen. To be passionate about what he's passionate about. To align our lives with him and do what he wants. That's what he was trying to get them in Genesis 3.8 to do. He was trying to get them back on track. And he's offering it that, that, that to us. The same God who forgives them also forgives us when we fall short. But he wants to take us from where we're at now to something. We're, we're good, but he wants to perfect us. Hebrews says he's perfecting us. How? By the Spirit. He's perfecting ours. Now this body's going to go away, but our spirit is going to carry on. And he's perfecting that. He's going to give us a new body. A new body. This body to a new body. But most Christians think they're nobodies. They don't understand. Who's inside of you? The King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the Holy Ghost, Jesus. I had that fun discussion. A guy came from Chicago over there to Asia. He's trying to figure it out because I was teaching the, the Trinity. And he's like, what in the world? And he said, I never thought about it because they got so many gods over there. And you have to explain the Trinity over there. And I said, well, who's inside? I said, who's inside? And I take him through the scriptures. It says God's in you. Then take him to the scripture. Jesus is in you. Then take him to the Holy Spirit that's in you. So who's inside? God the Father or God the Son? Or God the Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Yes, that's Susan's out, all three. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. I put that on my exam, D, all of the above. <laughs> They're all in there. That's who's inside you. So why aren't we fired up about that? we got to get excited. And we got to get them caught on fire. That's what revival is all about. That's what Joel's all about, getting us fired up. To be in that chapter 3 where we're working with God. Just as I taught you on Labor Day night. We're working with Him. We're working with God. And we need that. And the only way we're going to get that fire is if we get more of Him. Because He's the fire. So if we're missing the fire, that means we're missing Him. Father God, we thank You for the fire that You are. And that You are going to purify us and cleanse us. I know we've all fallen short of Your glory. We've all can look back through our lives how we should have, we could have, we would have. But you don't care about all that right now. You've forgiven us by the blood of all of that and you want to know what we can do right now. You are the God who is. And you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek him now because now faith is. And without faith we cannot please you in the now. So let us walk with the God who is, not the God who was or the God who will be, the one that coming and the one who came. Let's, right now you are here by the Holy Ghost. So let's walk with the Holy Ghost now into the things that you want done now, even as we wait for you to come. Let us be about the God who is in this moment. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at DKIN. Dot cc that's d k e n dot cc we look forward to seeing you next time god bless you